Hi, everyone, and welcome to Spot Food, a whole person health podcast brought to you by Guggenheimer. I'm your host, Shauna McQueen, registered dietitian and nutrition strategist. And today I'm speaking with Susan Weiss-Bolin, Ayurvedic practitioner and author of the newly published book, Seasonal Self-Care Rituals. We're going to talk about the basics of Ayurveda, how to find balance as the seasons begin to change, and one of my favorite new concepts, no efforting. I think you're going to love it too. So let's dive in with Susan Weiss-Bolin. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am here with Susan Weiss-Bolin, Ayurvedic practitioner, author of the Ayurveda Beginner's Guide and her latest book, Seasonal Self-Care Rituals. Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Shauna, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. I am really excited about your book and your approach to taking a seasonal uh, look at how we are approaching our self-care. So I'm wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about the inspiration behind that. Yeah, well, Ayurveda is a 5,000-year-old system of healing that comes from India. And it's sort of like, I always like to say, it's like Chinese medicine, but from India, because people are so familiar with Chinese medicine. But um what Ayurvedic coming from India was based on the seasons in India where it saw how people ate different things with the seasons, people got different ailments seasonally. And so the great rishis, which means um, seer or kind of doctor, maybe in Sanskrit, um, they saw how they had to treat people differently during the seasons and people of different mind-body constitutions needed to have different treatments in order to get more into balance. And they found that when you're in balance with the seasons, that you tend to not get sick. And if you do get sick, you get better faster. And so in translating this to Western, to the Western world, you know, we have more seasons, India sort of hot and then rainy, although like in the North it's cold and the South it's really hot. So, you know, it changes a bit, but um, Ayurveda actually comes from the South of India where it's hot most of the time. It really is just hot and rainy. And so taking into account the Western hemisphere seasons, many, you know, practitioners of Ayurveda in this part of the world, we've adjusted the sort of the rules and laws and methods and techniques of Ayurveda into our seasonal differences. And so that's the idea behind the new book is to help people find balance. Like you don't need to know everything about Ayurveda in order to understand the seasons and how you can adjust your diet, your sleep, your exercise, your breathing, your meditation, how you can adjust that in order to stay more in harmony with the season. That's wonderful. So as we are approaching the spring, what are some of the things that maybe we want to think about? Well, let's back up a tiny little bit to winter because we're coming out of winter. Yeah. So my favorite, my favorite times of year anyway, is this little transition period between winter and spring and then between fall and winter. I just love that like you have like a sense of renewal because things are changing, even though today it's snowing. Yesterday, the sun felt really warm and the birds are singing. And we know we're at the end of February, we're gonna be into springtime soon. But in the winter, we're hungrier. In the winter, our digestive fires are kind of stoked because it's keeping our bodies warm. Our body needs to work hard to stay warm. 
So our digestive fires run high so that we'll eat more to energize the body and stay warm. Now this worked great when we were working in the fields and we were farmers and we all had a lot of manual labor, um, but the body still works that way even though we're doing like the same thing. Although many of us are doing not much <laughs> because we're home um, during this pandemic and so our lives have changed so much. But, but anyway, we want to, you know, we want to stay warmer in winter, so we eat more. But because of that, we eat the heavier foods that are available this time of year, like root vegetables, but maybe lots of potatoes, beets, um, hearty stews and soups, maybe more pasta. For some people, that means more cheese or more dairy, depending on where they live in their own constitution. And so what happens with that, that's fine during the winter, but it starts to form this kind of gunk in the system for lack of a more scientific word. <laughs> um, in Sanskrit, we actually call it AMA, A-M-A. And that translates literally as undigested food because as we move into the warmer days of spring, we don't need that excess heat in the body. So that food is not digested well and it just kind of like accumulates in our tissues. And it it's this excess weight, which eventually that undigested food can break down and become disease actually. It gets deeper and deeper into our tissues and we can get sick mentally and physically from that gunk. So going into spring, as you asked, is this amazing opportunity to clean out the body, the mind and the body to get us ready for spring. I don't think there's, there's, it's not a coincidence that we have spring cleaning. We don't have that term for any other season. Oh, let's do winter cleaning. Oh, let's do summer cleaning. No, it's spring cleaning is what we want to do. And so we have this great opportunity as we begin to move now into springtime to already start to lighten up on what we're eating. So we want to, Anyway, in Ayurveda, we like to have three meals a day with no snacks, and our largest meal of the day is lunchtime, and each meal is two handfuls of food, which is like a bowl, which is two-thirds of your stomach, and we leave one-third open for the digestive fires to break down the food. If we snack in between, we sort of mess up that whole process. Like, Ayurveda does not believe in grazing. We, we need this, like, rest and digest kind of thing to happen. Every time you eat you take a rest for four to five hours so your body can most efficiently use that food. So we want to um, choose lighter foods as we move into spring and maybe even perhaps just eat two meals a day. If you're not like compromised somehow, if you feel strong and sturdy and healthy, maybe two meals a day might work for you just as we go into spring. I, what I suggest what works really well for me is like a 10 a.m. meal and a four or 5 p.m. meal. That feels great especially in springtime, that feels just fantastic. But you don't have to hold yourself to that if it's not for you. Some people really need those three meals a day. Some people are highly athletic and burning off all their calories and they, they might even need a snack, those people. Um, but we want to choose from the foods that start to come out now in the farmer's markets and just to think seasonally. Even though everything is available in the supermarkets every single day of the year, it doesn't make sense to eat watermelon in winter, but in some places it's there. But we want to choose like leaning towards the leafy greens. Oh, the leafy greens are so amazing now. Like dandelion greens, mustard greens, chard, arugula. Um, uh, I'm missing some, but um, if you think of any, let me know. There are just like amazing greens out there that you can uh, toss into a soup or you can quickly stir fry. We like to have our foods 
um, at least lightly cooked in Ayurveda because it helps us to digest them more. Summertime, you can go more raw, but especially as you go into spring, it's still cool out to at least lightly um, saute or wilt those foods. Oh, spinach is a good one too. Those leafy greens are magical, okay? Um, and so we wanna to try to include um, at least two or three servings, I would say, of leafy greens a day in your diet if you can. And then just think about lightening up. So the aspects of winter are cold and heavy and damp. And as we move into springtime, we still have that cold and damp, but it's moving more towards warm. So we wanna do the opposite. We want foods that are lighter and more drying on the system. And those greens and even adding in some spices and herbs, even things like tarragon, basil, clove, they can really sort of, you know, sort of squeeze out the excess toxins in the body. So we want to start to begin to add those things in. I love that. And you're, you're um, touching on this, this idea of Ayurveda being all about balance and you know, how do you use these tools like diet or your, you know, physical activity to balance the things that are going on around you? Um, and it's so interesting because it's not, you know, of course, the, the seasons are part of it, but other things are, you know, our um, immediate environment, like our home environment, of course, can have an effect on us. The time of day um, can have an effect, even our age. There are just all these cycles that are kind of going on um, that, you know, Ayurveda is a tool to kind of learn how do you balance what's going on internally with what's going on externally, which mm -hmm. I, I find really interesting. And one of the things that I love is uh, there isn't a one size fits all approach. So I'm wondering if you can talk about this idea of constitution and how we can kind of balance ourselves as individuals. Yeah. So in Ayurveda, we have um, what's called the doshas, D-O-S-H-A. Dosha is your mind-body constitution. And when we have too much of a, of a dosha, we can be out of balance. So the doshas are based on the elements outside of us, which are space, air, water, fire, and earth. There are five great elements in nature, and they're um, expressed in us as well. So the first dosha is comprised of air and space. And we call that dosha vata, V-A-T-A. And that's a light, airy, spacey, ungrounded, but highly creative and spontaneous type of person. And then the second dosha we call pitta, which is a combination of fire and water elements. And so that person usually has a stronger build, really great digestion because they have a lot of heat, really good leaders, great communicators, very strong, but they can tend when they have too much heat, they can tend to get um, out of balance by being sort of angry, aggressive, critical, judgmental type of people. But when they're balanced, they're just really the, the leaders in the group and very warm because of all that fire. And then we also, then the last dosha is um, kapha, K-A-P-H-A, and kapha is comprised of earth and water. So there's sort of the structure that holds everything together, they're the foundation, earth and water makes a really stable, you know, foundation. But somebody who's comprised of earth and water can have too much of those elements and it can lead towards, you know, being um, overweight, being um, sort of inert, dull, hard to manifest intentions, difficult to change routine. They kind of stay in their place. They like to nest, sort of have lots of things around them. I say when cop is out of balance, they can be greedy and needy with their food and their people. It's hard for them to let go of things. 
Whereas pitta dosha can make, pitta the fire dosha can make a really clear informed decision and make it happen immediately. And vata dosha can get very distracted and not really sure which way to go and just says, oh, I'll just start a new project. And they go to every shiny new thing that pops up. So these, that's the doshas in a tiny little nutshell. <laughs> um, you can think of like a vata person might look like, um, like Kerry Washington or uh, Callista Flockhart or even um, Uma Thurman, a kind of ethereal, willowy kind of people. Although Kerry Washington can also be quite fiery. So she's probably a Vata Pitta person. I would say that like um, Jack Nicholson on a really bad day is Pitta. Um, Nicole Kidman on a good day is Pitta. She's got red hair and freckles and so on. That's very Pitta. Kafa would be like a very round, soft person who's very caring, like um, in Oprah Winfrey or, um, oh, it's hard for me sometimes to think of all the people, but um, you, you get what I mean. They're kind of like the softer, rounder, caring, nurturing sort of person, but they, Kapha tends to take care of other people at the risk of not taking care of themselves, where Pitta kind of usually just cares about themselves and <laughs> Vata, Vata just is all over the place. <laughs> and so each of these doshas needs to eat differently in order to take care of themselves. So the air and space type needs to have more grounding, warm, lubricating foods because Vata tends to be very dry they have problems with like arthritis and joint issues, IBS, um, constipation, insomnia, because the wind and space is moving so much in the head. Pitta has problems with too much heat in the body, migraines, acid reflux, heartburn, rosacea, eczema. Um, and kapha can have problems with too much water in the system, like sinusitis, seasonal allergies, bronchitis, obesity. So um, we mitigate that by doing the opposite. So as I mentioned, vata needs the heavy grounding moisture, liquidy kind of like, you know, add more of that to their body. Pitta needs foods that are cooling in nature that will be satisfying to them. We like to make sure they have enough of the sweet taste. So because they need a little bit more sweetness to kind of balance out that maybe that angry streak that some does have <laughs> and kapha needs to lighten up they need foods that are lighter and drier but also warm because kapha is a cold dosha so I th there's a lot of information for somebody to take in of course it's in both of my books and you can find things online also in both of my books I have um, a dosha quiz I love the one in my new book in seasonal self-care rituals. I created this dosha quiz out of um, nearly 15 years of working with clients to do a mind body lifestyle quiz. That's much different than what I've seen in other places. Cause I, I really found how to sort of dig deeper to get more information on people to help them. And so once we know the primary dosha, we see how a person was born, their natural born Ayurveda constitution, and then we see their current imbalance. And what we wanna do is treat the imbalance. So a vata person who is naturally like thin and willowy and so on might be overweight. So they're having a kaphic imbalance. So we need to work with them very individually to reduce the kapha, but not disrupt the vata too much. We want each person to be the best of their dosha they can be. We don't want like somebody who is kapha cannot be as like skinny as a vata, maybe not even as thin as a pitta if we're talking about weight. They need to learn how to be comfortable in their own weight. But also kapha person is gonna be more um, 
thoughtful. They're going to take their time. They take a long time to learn something, but then they never forget it. Whereas a Pitta person is really quick and sharp and intense and gets it right away. So the Kapha can't change themselves to be like that Pitta, but they all have their wonderful qualities. Vata is extremely creative. They're, they just, they throw out a bunch of different ideas and they see what sticks and they work towards this or towards that. And they're just lovely and communicative and spontaneous. So we all have all three doshas, just one or another predominates. And so even if you don't know your dosha, you can get a little bit of idea by this conversation, but you can look to the seasons and see what season is which dosha. And like you mentioned, times of day, stages of life, they all have a dosha. It's very interesting. So fall and winter is vata, spring is kapha, and summer is pitta. And so again, even if you don't know your dosha, those seasons stay the same. There are always, fall and winter is always vata. So you can learn how to eat for that season without even knowing too much about yourself. And you will already be steps ahead um, in increasing your um, health, prevention of disease and longevity. So we just have to look and be aware of our seasons and our environments, as you mentioned, and work with it, not against it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it sounds like you said kind of complicated because there are so many different pieces that are going on and um, trying to find the balance within all of all of the change is kind of interesting, particularly now because you know over the last year our lives have changed so much, our routines have changed so much. What kind of a, a, an effect do you think this might be having, you know, on our like doshic state of balance? Yeah. It, well, it's very interesting because whatever your primary dosha is probably got exacerbated during this time. So let's say like I have, I'm like a kapha pitta person, although I'm 57. So I'm entering my vata stage of life. I went through menopause and where, as we get older, we go into the vata stage of life where we just like, don't care anymore about anything. And we're just like, <laughs> we're free to do whatever we want. So I, I do have a good amount of vata, but my kapha Gosh, especially when this pandemic hit, it was like, okay, how do I feel comfortable? What do I need? And it, it was food. It was like stuff that I banned from the house. <laughs> but my husband and I, we sort of had the same kind of cravings like ice cream and chips I, I, and maybe cookies. I think that was it. <laughs> and so we, we allowed ourselves to buy that stuff. If you remember the pandemic started in springtime and so we were going into this season, you know, of warmth and summer. So ice cream seemed like maybe okay, <laughs> but probably it's not. <laughs> but, um, you know, we had to find comfort. And somebody who's pitta might have um, sort of been angry at the pandemic and express themselves in a different way or also express themselves by action. Like I saw a lot of the pitta yoga teachers and so on day one of lockdown online teaching classes you know the whole string of workshops and this that and the other and and um the kaffas were like just like sleeping late we were just like what i can't get this <laughs> together already and the and vata might have been just um very vata tends to get anxious and worried so the vata types might have been really ruminating over like oh my god what does this mean how am i going to get sick how do we prevent like being really scared 
And so everybody has a different expression of what it's like. And Vata probably forgot to eat. And Pitta probably ordered in like amazing food. And Kapha just ate whatever was available and, and went to the store and got really fattening stuff. So what I... <laughs> What I don't find and what I'm really telling my clients now is you, you have to forgive yourself. You have to really, really be kind to yourself this during all the time anyway, but even doubly so during the pandemic that none of us have experienced, nobody alive has experienced anything like COVID. So we, we don't know what to expect and we still don't. So, but I would say, you know, as time went on, my husband and I stopped with all that crap. I'm sorry about my dog <laughs> barking. We love dogs. There's three of them. <laughs> so, um, um, we, we sort of got over that. We were like, wow, we're going to be in this for a while. So we can't eat ice cream and popcorn for dinner every night. This is like not going to happen. And so we started making really, really good choices and going back to soaking beans and making good um, Ayurvedic dishes and using the proper spices for the season and the great greens and vegetables that were available. So we really made the shift into eating much healthier. And that sort of also helped us um, emotionally. I'd say absolutely emotionally, when you're eating healthier, you're much better. When you eat a sugar laden diet, you are not happy. <laughs> it's not going to help in the long run. Mm -hmm. And so we, we all just need to make our personal choices. But um, I would say we're, you know, we can also create like our little mini routines and we can use things like meditation, yoga, essential oils, things that make us feel good. Like you don't have to do these things, but you can begin to add them in maybe here and there and see what works for you. But I think the goal is to feel good, support your immune system and uh, just make your way through this as we all we're all in it together and we might be slowly coming out of it it seems like with so many you know the vaccines being available and so on so maybe we're there you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel but let's just take it slowly and be kind to ourselves along the way yeah this reminds me a little bit of a phrase that you use in the book which i uh i really liked but it's no efforting Yes. Um, I'm wondering if you could, if you could talk a little bit about that and how you can kind of balance out using your intuition with trying to switch your habits. Oh, that's great. I love that you picked that out. So no efforting was actually a line that I got. Uh, I used to own a bookstore in Baltimore called Breathe Books, and it was a new age bookshop and we would have all sorts of amazing people come in, but we had a channeler come in. I can't think of her name right now, but um, while she was channeling, she used this term, no efforting. And it was really about letting everything flow. And um, so it's something that I took on and I use in my meditation classes all the time, this notion of not having to put effort on things because it just, um, life is difficult already, right? In many ways, life is difficult. And so if we think that meditating takes effort, if we think that eating well takes huge effort, we're not going to do it. We're going to say like, F it. And just like, let me just pop something into the microwave, which we don't even have, by the way, which is good. You don't have a microwave in your house. But anyway, um, so we, we want to set things up so that we have the least amount of effort. 
something I have, for instance, like my Indian spice tray, it's like a tin with like seven or eight holders in it, and my spices are in it. So I don't have to make this grand effort every day of going through the spice cabinet and finding everything. My spice trays on my counter, I open up the top, I have my turmeric, cumin, coriander, fennel, whatever I need right there. That's no efforting. For me in cooking, that's no efforting. It's prepared. Mm. We have all of our beans and grains and rice and quinoa, everything in jars so I can see it right away. And, you know, we have our instant pot out and we forget to soak some beans so we can actually use hard beans in the instant pot. It's weird, but it works. I love um, it. <laughs> yeah. So just find what works for you and um, so that you don't throw up obstacles in your way. So meditation is just a huge, huge part of this, but I don't want people to think that meditating takes enormous effort. Just sitting and watching and being quiet. There are many, many different ways to meditate. There's so many different stages of meditation that one can get into. Um, but in the beginning or even in the middle or the end, wherever you are in life, just sitting with yourself and just watching what happens without trying to change it that's no efforting. Just allowing things to be in meditation. That is just this watchful awareness is, um, is what I mean. So you can take no efforting and, and apply it to your life and see what it means to you. But those are some examples of how it works for me. I love it. Um, and it, it's kind of a good reminder of if you're feeling a lot of resistance to something, then, you know, maybe there's a reason for that. So maybe try a, a different approach where you're not feeling that same kind of resistance, but at the same time, there's a little bit of personal responsibility of, you know, helping to, uh, almost, cultivate your environment to set yourself up for success. Like you said, with putting the spices on the counter, making, making things easy for you. Um, mm -hmm. one, you know, one phrase that is used a lot is like, how do you make a healthy choice an easy choice or a nutritious choice an easy choice? And I think those are all really good examples, but, um, you know, I think particularly in terms of, uh, thinking about meditation, of it can sound really intimidating if you haven't really done it before, but like you said, it's really just sitting down and kind of observing uh, whatever that is. And, you know, maybe that's going out for a walk, observing nature, or just sitting, uh, you know, quietly with your eyes closed, whatever that may be. Um, but, you know, one of the ways that I think can, can help people to start is maybe it's not even meditation. Maybe it's just breathing. Exactly. Um, so I would love it if you could talk through what are some, some ways we can work with our breath to maybe help ourselves find a little balance in the moment. Yeah, Shauna, I love everything you said about, um, you know, finding the tools to support you and your journey and about resistance and Sometimes things might not be right for you at the moment. So we just walk around and look for another path. You know, it's, it's, it's great. I love the way you describe that. So breathing, well, I'll just, I'll put a plug out there for a book I read late last year called Breath by a man named James Nestor. And he did a ton of research going back to the Vedas where Ayurveda comes from on the importance of breathing and, and the ritualistic chanting and how that was related to breathing. It, it's an incredible book. I love it. Breath by James Nestor. So um, the, there are, oh, the breath is everything. I, my bookstore was called Breathe Books. My business is called Breathe Ayurveda because breathing 
with everything. We come into this world with an inhale and we leave with an exhale. And everything in between just involves this sort of ritualistic practice of breathing in and out, but we often don't do it right. So just something for people to think about is doing sort of paced breathing through your nose. Um, when we inhale and exhale through our nose, we create um, NO, which is nitric oxide. And the person that discovered that in the 70s won a Pulitzer in science for discovering the benefits of nitric oxide. It, it just basically heals your entire body. It does something to the epithelium of the cells. And I wrote it all in my book. I knew it then, but I forgot it now, but it's all there. <laughs> um, but you have to breathe in and out through your nose in order to get the benefits of NO. So, and that, that um, it activates the sympathetic nervous system, which is a, the vagus nerve, and it helps to deeply relax the body. When the body's in a state of relaxation is when we can heal. If we're constantly in a state of stress and anxiety and doing these quick little emergency breaths, like <sighs> if your people can hear that, um, then we're not healing our body. We're actually doing the opposite. We're hurting ourselves. So even during exercise, if you can continue to breathe through your nose while you're exercising and you get to that place where you need to take an emergency breath that <sighs> when you're exercising, back down until you can breathe through your nose again. These were studies done by Dr. John Duyard, who was an Ayurvedic practitioner. He did these studies in the 80s in a book he wrote called um, Mind Body Sport. And his website is Life Spa, L-I-F-E-S-P-A, lifespa.com. Dr. Duyard's amazing. And I learned all of this from him really originally. And James Nestor even interviewed him for the book. So Dr. Duyard in Colorado is like, oh my God, he's amazing. And so he talks about that emergency breath. But what I would love everybody to do is just, it's that you do it all the time if you can, but especially at times when you're feeling anxious or Sometimes when I work on the computer, I find I've been holding my breath. I haven't taken a breath while I've been writing. And then, then you take that emergency breath and you're just sitting at your computer. <laughs> so what I like to do is try to do this paced breathing of inhaling for, exhaling for, and even just stopping to count it to do this nice deep inhale through your nose, counting to four, which might be longer than you think it is. And then a long, slow exhale, counting to four. When you do that, you feel your body begin to relax immediately. You just feel better. Our body is starved for, for air and oxygen and nitric oxide, just like it is for water. We need to give ourselves breath and water in order for our system to stay healthy or to heal. And so I love that practice. There's actually an app on the phone called Paced Breathing, P-A-C-E-D, Paced Breathing. And it's really cool. You hear like this sort of like inhale, exhale, and you can set it to whatever numbers you want. But also if people wanted to look up alternate nostril breathing on, um, on the web, you can find tons and tons of YouTube videos. It's also called Nadi Shodhana in Sanskrit. So alternate nostril breathing, many different methods of it, but that is a fantastic way to slow yourself down and learn the beauty of taking the air in through one nostril, holding and then exhaling through the other, using your fingers to close off your nostrils. First time I heard of alternate nostril breathing, I didn't know that you could use your fingers. I thought you had to train yourself to breathe in one nostril and exhale the other, but that didn't go to work for a Jewish Seems girl. Seems tricky. <laughs> yeah, somebody from India might have that down. 
<laughs> now, learning how to do alternate nostril. So even if you're not going to meditate, just doing three, four, five minutes of alternate nostril breathing or pace breathing is great. Uh, all sorts of things involve like placement of the tongue on the ridge behind the front teeth and, you know, how your head and neck and shoulders are down and how everything is open and available to the prana, to the life force coming into your body during the practice. But hopefully then you can transition in two, three, four, five, 10, 20, 30 minutes of sitting quietly, perhaps using a mantra or, um, listening to music or something else to help you stay still and allow the body to experience that transcendental beauty of stillness of the mind. Um, I would love to chat a little bit about mantras. Um, how do you choose a mantra for yourself? Do you make one up? Do you find one that you've read somewhere that seems interesting? How long do you work with it? What does it look like for you? Okay. Yeah, those, all that is true though. You can make one up. You can find one that works for you. There, I, I have listed in both of my books, mantras for each dosha. There are certain sounds um, and the way you shape your mouth that help to balance each dosha. Um, but there are many universal mantras and even the word OM that so many people know, O-M, OM is, um, it's actually, they say it's a sound the universe made when it was created, like this giant OM sound came out of the universe. So when we chant OM, we're aligning ourselves with the universe and OM is a very grounding sound. So even silently or out loud, repeating OM with the in-breath, OM with the out-breath. Um, one that um, is used in Siddha yoga, which is S-I-D-D-H-A, which was the yoga meditation practice, yoga as a philosophy founded by um, Swami Paramahansa Yogananda. I'm sorry, Yogananda did another one. This is um, uh, Muktananda. There's so many Anandas. I don't know. <laughs> um, so uh, Swami Muktananda um, uh, recommended using this mantra. It's um, so hum, S-O-H-U-M. And so we do so on the in-breath and hum on the out-breath. And you, again, you can do it silently or out loud, but so hum has a translation that is, um, um, I honor the, the, the um, lightness inside of me. Like it's finding your own light. It's acknowledging that you're a beautiful, amazing person, which we all are. We just might have forgotten that. But so hum helps us to get back to that place of vibrational essence of the Sanskrit sound, helps us to align with that, with that thought. Um, and so that's a beautiful one to use. So um, when you do something like um, Transcendental Meditation TM, the practitioner will give you a mantra and you're not supposed to tell anybody your mantra, but there are apparently, and also in something I teach called Primordial Sound Medication, medication, meditation. <laughs> meditation is like medication, but without the drugs. So um, uh, I studied at the Chopra Center back in 2007, 2008. I got my certifications in Ayurveda and studied meditation and yoga through the Chopra Center in California and San Diego. And when you do primordial sound meditation, you also get a personalized mantra. So they say there's 108 mantras and your particular mantra was the sound the universe was making at the moment in time and place you were born. 
so it's your primordial sound. And so if you take a primordial sound meditation course, and there's many teachers around the country, around the world, they will give you your personalized mantra. But you can also like the wonderful, beautiful Vietnamese Zen Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, in his books, he talks about using these words like peace, joy, love, safety, happiness, health, like things that you can just words that are beautiful to you, you can use. We do like the Sanskrit words because we don't know the exact meaning of them as Westerners. So we're going by the vibration of the word. Like one of my favorite chants, mantras is Om Namah Shivaya, which we say in Sanskrit, um, it, 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 um, each um, syllable is, is one of the elements. So Om Namah Shivaya, or Om is its own self, sorry. Namah Shivaya is space, air, water, earth, fire. You got me. I said I said them backwards, but you know it's the elements, and we're yep. <laughs> uh, syllables attached to one of those elements. So I find um, chanting Om Namah Shivaya, which really means like I'm I'm blessing like Lord Shiva. So I'm not Hindu, I'm Jewish, but I I still say that, because <laughs> um, I don't know Shiva's like everywhere, and like it's all everywhere. It doesn't really matter to me. I just. Right. <laughs> all this stuff is out there. I might as well use it because something's going to work. Something is working. I don't know. (laughs) So on my Shivaya is when I use, like even when I'm walking my dogs and my mind is racing or I'm listening to a podcast and there's just too much happening. I just shut it all down. And I just chant sometimes out loud and my dogs look up at me, but if they're used to it, Om Namah Shivaya. It just that you don't need to be thinking all the time. You don't need to have these thoughts moving constantly planning, regretting, ruminating. It's just kind of, why didn't I do that? Why did she say this? I should have never said that. It doesn't do us any good. Finding your own chant, Onamashivaya, or whatever it is that you choose, just helps you to relax and calm down and and get rid of that junk that's not necessary anymore. So I I love chanting and mantras. There are like um, singers out there like Deva Pramal, Snadamkar, Guru Ganesha Singh, there are uh, uh, Krishna Das, there are so many amazing, um, they're all, those are all Americans, but (laughs) um, there's other ones that are Indian. You can find them on YouTube, play them in the background. They also cleanse your home. When you have mantras playing all the time, they do this wonderful blessing for your house. Um, We have something in in the Vedas called Vastu Shastra, which is like feng shui, but Indian feng shui, Vastu. And sound cleaning is really important too. So the mantras also can do that. And of course there's mantras for your chakras and all sorts of stuff that's in the book. But yeah, it's just um, training the mind in another way. So I think so that it can be more efficient and make you happy. I love that. And that idea of kind of sound cleaning is really interesting. So maybe something we can add to our spring cleaning routines this year. Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing. And I had such a wonderful time speaking with you. Um, I would definitely encourage everyone to pick up your book, Seasonal Self-Care Rituals, Eat, Breathe, Move, and Sleep Better According to Your Dosha. Um, But would love if you can just share uh, where else we can learn more uh, about you, what the wonderful work you're doing, Uh and um, maybe you want to leave us with a special thought to keep balanced in the spring. Sure. So you can find me by going to Breathe Ayurveda, B-R-E-A-T-H-E, 
and Ayurveda is A-Y-U-R, V like Victor, E-D-A, breatheayurveda.com. Or even I have found if you just Google Susan and Ayurveda, I magically appear. <laughs> so Good, good SEO. <laughs> You can find me that way too. I do um, I do online consultations now. I also, for over a dozen years, I take people on trips, mainly to India, to, to visit sacred sites and to eat amazing Indian food, to get Ayurvedic treatments and to do other really incredible stuff. I also do Bhutan and some other countries. So you can sign up for my newsletter at breatheayurveda.com to find out about that. Or happy to do consult with you or do meditation coaching. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so my book is available. Every place books are sold. It's from Simon and Schuster. I'm super stoked that I have a book with Simon and Schuster. They're an amazing publisher and the book is just beautiful. So, but something, I guess, you know, what I want to leave you with is really, it's something that I already said during our conversation, Shauna, but I find that people just tend to be really hard on themselves and um, there are people who are like, why haven't I cleaned out my closet and I've been home for a year, you know? And so I just want to encourage everybody to be kind to yourself, um, be kind to those around you, be kind to your pets, um, show lots of love and allow yourself to receive love. Even if you have nobody around you, you know, if you're isolating on your own, just, you know, maybe you can find some places to connect with others or to donate something, anything, your time, your, um, your talents to some organization, just give and, and receive the love that you get back. And just, uh, just this notion of kindness, because we've been living in a really crazy world, especially the past four years. And I think now we've taken this shift. It's like, oh, what a relief. I didn't realize how tense I was during the last four years. Whoa, it's like we need some time to decompress, most of us, but I'm just, this is just me and a lot of us, I think, maybe 70 some million of us, but anyway, some time to decompress from what the country has been through. And now we need to show each other kindness and respect and love. And um, yeah, just that. I don't know what else is there. Just say I love you a lot to whomever you can find to say I love you too. <laughs> Beautiful advice. And it doesn't have to be seasonal. It could be all the time. <laughs> I love it. Susan, thank you so, so much. It was an absolute pleasure and I look forward to connecting again soon. Oh, you're welcome, Shauna. Thank you so much for asking me and you take care of yourself. All right, that's the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And before we say goodbye, I just want to call back one thing that Susan said that really just struck me. And that was during our conversation about meditation and how simply just sitting still um, can be so healing for us in a way. So she said, uh, stay still and allow the body to experience the transcendental beauty of stillness of mind. So I'm going to go see if I can find some of that transcendental beauty. And uh, I'm going to encourage you guys to check out the full issue of Spot of Food. You can learn more about Susan and her book in our interview there. We're also talking a lot about National Nutrition Month. So there is some info on how do we really know what a healthy diet is? What things should we be looking for? Is having the healthiest diet really the best goal that we want to look for? And maybe instead we want to focus on having a diet that supports whole person health. 
all the different dimensions of our well-being. Um, so if you haven't already, check that out either on Slack in the Spot of Food NYC channel or on freshbeats.net, our blog. I hope to see you guys again soon. Thanks so much again for listening. And thank you, Susan, for your time, your expertise, and uh, for sharing all of the, your wonderful insights with us. See you guys next month.